Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. This is Guilford County Register of Deeds with the Good Grief Podcast. Really, the good grief in the podcast is a lot of times we deal with a lot of issues that are frustrating around end-of-life care. And so we usually use that euphemism, good grief. What are we going to do next? On the other hand, we are all dealing with difficult times in our life, and we want to be able to deal with those issues uh, and things that come up in a way that we're supported. And I'm happy to welcome Jim Albright, who is the director of Guilford County EMS. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thank you for having me this morning. You're celebrating how many years with EMS? So soon, 31 years in Guilford County, and uh, the last seven is or so as the director. Wow. Been around a long time. I knew you when you weren't a director, and now I, I know you when we we're both in the big leagues, so to speak, in Guilford County government. Um, what I'd like to do is begin by just um, asking you about the context. I mean, EMS deals with end-of-life issues in the field, and they deal with death as it comes uh, in many ways all the time. Can you give me some context about how you, as a, in terms of the emergency services, deal with that on a daily basis? So I think there's a couple of things uh, that people need to understand. First and foremost, when we respond, it's a tiered system. So oftentimes the fire department uh, arrives first and then EMS is uh, close second. Uh, We do that because we have emergency medical care available in all the fire trucks in the system, and uh, they provide that initial assessment. That being said, we deal with trying to bring order to chaos every day in people's lives. So when nobody knows what to do, uh, we've trained Americans well to dial 911, and so we get kind of interjected into the midst of their emergency. That could be anything from uh, something that we consider to be non-urgent, life-threatening, all the way up to the death of an individual in our community. So you deal with acute death, you deal with crimes, you deal with a, a smorgasbord of things that happen, and you have to clinically be able to respond to a, a diversity of issues that come up when that call is made. Uh, how's, how do you all think through that and the methodologies that you use and that kind of thing? So around? we have extensive training. Uh, it starts with a state credential, but uh, more importantly than that, uh, we spend a very long uh, internship process for our providers uh, where not only do they have to understand the clinical uh, medicine, but they have to understand the incredible complexity of dealing with people during times of grief and et cetera. Uh, oftentimes a death is unanticipated, and that's a major issue for a family to deal with. So not only do we have to take care of the patient, uh, but we have to know how to interact with that family member as well. You were talking to me the other day, we we were having a conversation about this, and you mentioned most documents. When we're going to be doing these podcasts and and putting together information, we're going to be talking about um, advanced directives, living wills, all these different things, but I wasn't familiar with the most document. Can you explain what that is and and the role it has when you're dealing with with these kinds of issues in in uh, at EMS 
Absolutely. So uh, Guilford County has a long history of dealing specifically with hospice and other providers in our community. Uh, And back in the early 90s, uh, there was a real kind of gap in the law. And that gap was the fact that EMS providers uh, and fire departments, et cetera, could not accept advanced directives or living wills. That really was a statement by the patient to their health care providers of their wishes at end of life. And so we were very fortunate. Uh, County Attorney John Maxwell at the time uh, and others drafted the original do not resuscitate orders that ultimately were then adopted by the North Carolina Medical Society and then the state. So DNRs were a big improvement for us. It was a legal document that was a declaration of your desire not to have a full cardiac resuscitation, cardiopulmonary uh, CPR, etc. But uh, it left some gaps quite frankly, in defining the level of care that you wanted. So several years ago, the Medical Society and the North Carolina Office of EMS came together to develop what was called the MOST form, which stands for Medical Orders for Scope of Treatment. And the beauty of that particular form is is that it defines specifically what the patient wants in their end-of-life care. So Section A of that particular form handles everything that the DNR form did. So did you want CPR? Did you want to be intubated and put on a ventilator and etc. But more importantly, it started to define out other medical interventions. So for instance, did you want full scope of treatment? Do you want a limited scope of treatment or do you just want comfort measures only? And the beauty of the form is that it can move along as a patient's progression of a terminal illness moves along as well. Uh, the other nice thing about it is it defines some other very uh, important decisions that people need to make in their end-of-life care. So specifically, were people interested interested in IV antibiotics if they received an infection? Were they interested in tube feedings? Were they interested in sustainment with IV fluids and other issues? And then it allowed an opportunity for the patient to have that conversation not only with their primary physician, but also with their families. And it had a signature process, so the patient actually authorizes the level of care that they want. And the beauty for us is that it absolutely eliminates any ambiguity that we would have at the time of someone's death. To obtain the most documents, the majority of primary care physicians in the community will have access to them. Uh, Simply, uh, you ask the physician uh, if they have most forms, and then the process of going through filling out is done in conjunction with your provider. One of the questions we often answer about the most form, what if the patient isn't uh, capable of making the decisions? Then that rests with the medical power of attorney uh, for that particular patient, and uh, they and the provider can go through the process of completing it. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's really important. Uh, when we talk about living wills and all these different things, the goal behind all this is that people, individuals, have a right to make their own decisions as much as possible about their medical care and that kind of thing. EMS, you all are put right on the front line of this when it happens. And so the most document is something that I, from what I'm hearing you say, is really important from the point of view of your ability to both know what the patient needs at the given moment and also related to your coordination as a medical team with the hospital uh, and other entities that you're coordinating with throughout the process. Absolutely. And ultimately, our greatest desire is to fulfill the wishes of the patient. And the issue that occurs, particularly uh, when a death uh, occurs, family members, uh, by their very nature, are wrapped up in the emotion of the particular event. Uh, Oftentimes, they want us to discount what the patient's wishes were. And this provides us that very clear pathway of desires of the patient so that we can fulfill 
fulfill those uh, to the best of our abilities. Uh, the other opportunity that we have is that we always have online medical direction. So we always do have the ability to contact uh, local medical control and speak to a physician at one of our uh, respective sponsor hospitals if there's any kind of issues associated with that particular uh, time of death. Yeah. Now, you are a clinician, and so you've been trained to enter into these situations and to act. From my knowledge of EMS, it's very regimented, and regimented in the sense of you're trained methodically, work through a number of different possibilities in terms of treatment. Um, but you're a human being, and, you know, one of the the things about these podcasts is, is the idea of the experiences that people have, both as a clinician, but dealing with these kinds of issues on a personal level. You have uh, anything you'd like to share related to that in terms of your personal experience in dealing with end-of-life issues? Well, I think just like any clinician, I have a private life as well. Yeah. Uh, and I had a father with a terminal illness and have gone through the process, uh, quite frankly, of doing a most form and having clear understanding. I was his medical power of attorney. Uh, I knew that I would have to make decisions in his care, but it really allowed us to have a conversation about that so that I was very clear in the decisions that he made. The other part is, is that I had to deal with his death in the home as other family members do as well. And uh, I have to say that uh, it was handled very professionally. We were able to use hospice services within our community and etc. We were able to to give my dad what his greatest desire was, which was to die at home. Mm. Yeah, and that's uh, that's important. Um, being able to deal with these issues, unfortunately, many times people can't necessarily deal with it on their own terms. Having the opportunity to do that is really important. Well, and I think a lot of people don't understand kind of the legal processes that we have to go through at the process of declaration of death. So first and, and foremost, what we do is that we document the presence of death, but death certificates are signed by medical examiners, by physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, etc. So we do a lot of interface with the medical community during a time of very high anxiety for a family. Mm. Uh, so for instance, if a patient does not have a most form, and even, even if they do, we still have to have physicians authorization to release that body. So we do a lot of interface to the private physician community, into the hospital systems, and then ultimately dealing with the medical examiner's office as well. Um, in terms of when you're dealing with medical examiners and uh, autopsies, are there any basic guidelines around when autopsies usually happen or are they requested and or how long does it take? Do you have any um, comment related to that? Yeah, so we work very closely uh, with the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. The medical examiners for Guilford County are actually private contractors of the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, which is a state office. And generally the rule of thumb is that they take care of unattended deaths and a series of other classified deaths. So obviously suicides, homicides, traumatic deaths, suspected poisonings and overdoses, anything of that nature are under the authority of, of the local medical examiner. What they do is that they oftentimes will come to the scene. Uh, they'll have a conversation with the EMS providers as well as with the law enforcement representatives. And then they make a determination whether the death is something that can be ruled on locally or requires a full gross autopsy. So when people think of autopsies, they think of what they've seen on television, CSI-type investigations. Those are fairly infrequent, and they occur actually in Raleigh. So a decedent would be transported locally, would be viewed by a local medical examiner, and then referred to Raleigh for gross autopsy. The percentage of those is, is relatively low. 
And you mentioned at the beginning, usually what happens, the call is made. In many cases, the fire department will show up, then the EMS will show up. Sometimes the police show up. Talk to me about how that happens. A lot of people may get nervous. First and foremost, we respond as a team. And law enforcement is there first and foremost to protect the safety of the providers. If, in fact, it ends up being a crime scene, they have authority over that. So they are are there in an investigative component as well. But generally, they're there to assist us. They also have medical first aid training. So, for instance, if we're dispatched to a cardiac arrest, we notify law enforcement that we're responding on that particular event. And if someone's close, they may stop in literally to be that first point of care. And really, I always say the first point of care is our 911 telecommunicators that will give instructions to folks across the phone to do CPR. Uh, But then our next level of care would be in our law enforcement community. They are there, again, really primarily to assist us. However, obviously, if there's any indication that there may have been a crime involved, then they have jurisdiction. I want to thank you for being here to share some good information. And what we'll try to do is on those most important documents and links and things like that, we'll try to add that to the podcast so people can be able to see some of the documents that we're talking about uh, and anything that would help clarify them. And I just want to say, you know, I've been in several situations where 911 has had to be called, where the fire department shows up with EMS. And Jim and I, we both know of a situation that I'm recently in my office um, where I had had someone who was in uh, a very serious medical emergency to see these first responders work is amazing. And you can tell their commitment to their jobs, you can tell that they are really trying to put the patient first and they're trying to do the right thing to serve the citizens of Guilford County. So you definitely and your people, your peeps, have my appreciation for all the work that you all do. With that said, wanted to thank you for being a part of this initial podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.